Bill Lagatuda, welcome to my podcast. Carl, is that is that little Carl Click? It's my Carl. Oh my God, you're you're all grown up. We both grown up, I think. <laughs> I, I was thinking about it. Uh, you left KGW in 1985, so we used to work every night together in the newsroom, and we have not spoken in 35 years. You know, I was thinking about this too, Carl. I, you know, my memory. I I I remember myself being much older than I really was back then. But uh -huh. I, when I came to KGW, I was 27 years old. And you're, you've got to be you've got seven or eight years younger than me, right? So uh, let's see. I started in 1983, and I was 22. Okay. Oh. So just a couple of years. But yeah, now, so I, now I just we're all the same. I, I know. <laughs> now we're now we're part of the good old days. Yes. <laughs> we're part, part of the part of the whatever happened to Paige. <laughs> uh, well, I actually just did a, a radio interview to promote the new podcast. And uh, Mark Mason, the radio guy in Portland, was talking about, you know, people come and go so quickly and you never know what happened. And that's, that's kind of, you know, if you're not really paying attention, that's the way it goes in TV. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know a good, good friend of mine, uh, Harold Dow, who was a longtime correspondent at CBS, who uh, used to say, I have a saying, he would say, I would come to work every day prepared to be fired. That was his <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> I don't think it was that bad, but I think some people uh, had that uh, uh, that perspective every day they were at work. Uh, hey, let's start where you are now. You're in Los Angeles, where you worked nope. for years and years and years. No, you're out of Los Angeles. So my story is this. So after I left television uh, news, I was based in Los Angeles for a long time, as you know. And after I left, um, my wife and I, we really wanted to get out of L.A. And we spent a good... 10 years or so looking all over California. We looked in Texas, we looked in, uh, we looked in, in Europe, we looked in a bunch of places. We just, we wanted, a, we wanted a different kind of lifestyle. And the place we ended up is a place that I, I had never heard of and discovered quite by accident. We, um, uh, my wife and I have a small production company. We make, make small films called Mitsika Films. And we were doing a small project, a profile of, 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 we're doing a series of profiles of people who are making a difference in the agriculture business. And we were going to do a profile of a young farmer who was doing some really innovative work. And she invited us up to her farm. She was farming in the, up in the Bay Area of San Francisco. And uh, she called us a week before we were going to do the profile. We're all set up. And she said, I've lost the lease on my farm. And I said, well, I guess stories off. So don't worry, I've found another piece of land that I'm going to be farming. Uh, it's in a small town called Winters, California. Have you ever heard of it? And I said, no. I said, where is it? Winters, California is about uh, 40 minutes uh, west of Sacramento. It's uh, about 15 minutes west of Davis, where the university is. Uh -huh. It's a small town with a population of about 7,000 people. We have an historic downtown, and it's surrounded by agricultural land. We came up here, we did the, uh, did the profile of this young woman. And then uh, Judy and I, my wife Judy and I looked at each other and said, I guess we found the place. And <laughs> within, within months we had bought a house here. Um, it took us a while to sell our house in LA. We've been here for two years. We, are, we live on five acres. Uh, we've planted 200 olive trees. Um, we're, uh, we're developing the property. We're surrounded by farmers. And, uh, and it's just a, it's just a completely 
different experience than living in the big city. We're just, uh, we're, we're out in the country and just loving every minute of it. And so what we're, what are, the reason that you may hear a little echoey sound on, on the interview is because we have a large uh, a barn on the property, a metal barn, and we've been converting it into our office and our studio space. And we just moved in the first of the year. So it's, it's a big building with a with a desk and a computer. And, and so it's a little bit noisy. So and and, and walls and that's it. You know, that's a similar story to my wife and I. Uh, we're in Central Oregon now, in Sisters, uh, you know, near Bend. And, you know, my family had a place there, and my parents would invite all the kids and grandkids up. And it wasn't long after we came up here visiting my folks where Jill and I just said, that's where we want to be when we're done. And uh, four, four years ago, we just bailed on everything we were doing on the west side uh, in the Portland, Vancouver area. Sold the house, moved over here, finding stuff to stay busy. And uh, it, I mean, everybody in Oregon knows how beautiful Central Oregon is, and we're yeah. kind of in the hills and in the trees, and it's it's very soothing to be in a place that you're comfortable in. Yes. Oh, yes, definitely. There was L.A. L.A. in the last few years has become. We, we like to say that we got out just as the gates were closing, okay. and uh, it was just. Didn't let them hit you on the behind on the way out. <laughs> no, we were driving as quickly as we could, and uh, but we're up here, and it's nice because you you know. I look at mountains out the window and uh, we've got, you know, open space and it, and it, it, you take it in by osmosis. It just, it becomes part of your existence. And I, when I think about the house that we lived in Los Angeles, I had a, you know, I had a neighbor that was like this close on one mm -hmm. side, this close on another. And now, you know, I can see my neighbor's house and I could wave to him if he's on the front porch, but it's, um, it's, it's really a nice experience to be able to, to sort of breathe and relax and be, and be creative. And I, I imagine that you you never thought you'd be as busy as you are now. And I feel the same way. I, that not a day goes by that my that it's not completely full. No, completely that's full. good. And I, I know yeah, uh, we'll talk about your your art and your farming and stuff. But I guess we got to get to we got to get to KGW in yes. Portland. You, you were only there for a couple of years, but it was legendary. <laughs> I'm glad someone thinks so. <laughs> so uh, you got into, uh, I know you were like uh, San Diego, Phoenix, Denver, San Francisco, and then you came to Portland as our main anchor at KGW. Uh, what got you to Portland? I was, this is, I don't think I've ever told this story. Um, awesome. I, <laughs> uh, at least not publicly. I uh, was, I worked in, as you said, I worked in Phoenix, San Diego, San Francisco, Denver, and the job in Denver was, uh, didn't work out. Uh, a, a group of producers from California hired me to go in and we kind of shook up the place and it, it was a miserable ratings failure. And after a year, we all lost our jobs. So I was, I was out of work in Denver and, and looking around for a place to, I really wanted to sort of rebuild my, my career. Um, and I don't think it was out of work that long, but so my agent called at an agent at the time and he said, uh, they're looking for an anchor uh, man in uh, San Francisco, uh, in uh, Portland. And would you like to go up and audition? Now at the time, the, uh, Kathy Smith was anchoring the news with, with a man named Ralph Wenge. Uh, yeah, Ralph, who went to CNN. Who went to CNN. And I was told, you know, come up, we want to do an audition with you. The news director is a guy named Paul Sands. And, uh, remember Paul. and he said, we want to do an audition with you, but we don't want Ralph to know that we're auditioning his replacement. So we're going to, we're going to do it in a quiet way. So I, I thought, okay, great. I'll go to Portland. I'd never been. Um, I was excited about it because it seemed like all the research I did seemed like it was a great town. So I 
flew to Portland and I thought we would do the audition in some TV studio or radio station or something, but instead they said, come to the, come to the Benson Hotel, okay? That, this, the Benson Hotel, right? The old hotel downtown? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He said, come to the Benson Hotel and, uh, and we'll meet you in the lobby. I thought, okay, we're going to go somewhere. Uh, well, where are we going? We're going upstairs. We've rented a room. And I walked in and there was, a, and there was a, 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 just a regular hotel room with a bunch of lights in it and a camera. And, um, and I thought, what, what is going on here? I don't know what this is. And then knock on the door and then Kathy enters. And I, the thing I remember about her is that she was wearing this big fur coat. I'd never really seen anybody wear a big fur coat like that. She would wear that often, I think. And we both looked at each other like, what, what is this? This is, this is the audition. And we sat, on the, we sat on the edge of the bed and we read, and we read a newscast to a camera. The cameraman was, uh, was Regan Ramsey. Uh, yeah, became the, the, became the, yes, the, the boss there. And we recorded a, uh, a newscast, and I guess what I guess we had enough uh, enough chemistry together, or we were they liked it, and I and I got the job. And a couple months later, I I moved up, and 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 the rest the rest, as you said, was legendary. <laughs> well, I mean that kind of adds to the story that I mean you first met Kathy Smith in a hotel room. That is correct. Different connotations. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, I remember Kathy saying, uh, when we back in the sports department, we we're talking about the new guy. Uh, Kathy said, he is the best cold news reader I've ever been around. Uh, and now, and now to, to let people know, cold is somebody hands you a script, you've never seen it, and you read it directly on air. Uh, and she said that you, you were flawless at that. Well, that, I will tell you this, that is a talent that I have. It serves me no good anymore, Yeah. but I was, I was able to do that. I will tell you, it's so funny. I've been thinking about that, that audition. Um, and I, I remember I only made one mistake. I made one mistake. I mispronounced the mayor's name. The mayor's name was Frank Ivancy. Remember right. that guy? Yeah, right before Bud Clark was Frank Ivancy. Yeah, Frank Ivancy was, was kind of a, as I recall, was kind of a, strange guy he used to mix up his malaprops he would say something like you know you you buttered your bread now go lie in it he was very famous for these gaffes and things i use that phrase a lot by the way now but i i mispronounced his name frank ivancy yeah and, and i think i can't be sure i think that that on the tape kathy you know like nudged me and corrected me and i think the way we reacted to each other showed how comfortable we were and i think that might have put it over the top so yeah. so mayor Evancy, i thank you for my yeah, exactly. career report. you couldn't screw up bud clark that was too easy no no not at all well you mentioned that as a skill that news readers have anchors those that are that do it well uh i mean that's 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 an incredible uh skill that you either develop or you either have i remember i worked with tracy berry for many many years uh she was flawless uh, and tracy had uh, basically uh, a, a photogenic uh, memory. I mean, she'd look at a script once and she had it. She would almost never have to look down. She could do it without prompter. But, um, but you, you were a damn good newsreader, my friend. I mean, and I, well, I, there, there, are homely, there are many things that go into the job of being a news reporter and a news anchor, but the ability to connect with an audience and a story and, and have them understand that you know exactly what you're talking about, uh, that's news anchoring. At its at its at its base core, and you were good at it. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, well, thank you. I, someone asked me to explain, you know, I, I think, you know, you see all these YouTubers today and everybody's on, everybody's got, uh, everybody's on, everybody. I, I joke these kids come out of the womb today, you know, with a camera on them. They know exactly what to, how, to, how to behave in front of a camera. It used to be, it used to be more, more of a rare thing. But the way I used to explain it is for some reason, the way my brain is hooked up, and, you, and the, the words on a teleprompter go, go up like this, I, for some reason I can sort of see the next two lines before they, before they pop up on the bottom. I don't know, it's, it's a, as I said, it's a completely useless skill to me now. Uh, Served that, me well. That train of thought brings up another story about a different anchor at KGW, uh, Joe Donlin, the great anchor we had at KGW, now he's in Chicago. Uh, early on, uh, we had the uh, unfortunate, the uh, shooting at Springfield High School. And so we sent our main anchor, Joe Donlin, down there. We sent the producer, uh, our, our assistant news director was down there kind of, and he was kind of a nervous guy. And I remember Joe Donlin telling the story that Joe is, you know, standing in front of the camera at 4.59, ready to start probably the most important newscast that we have had in decades in Portland with that tragic shooting. And the assistant news director is standing next to the camera and getting them all ready. And he said, right before Joe starts, he, he looked at Joe and said, hey, Joe. Don't forget to look at the camera. <laughs> when you say something like that, and that can completely throw your concentration. That's very funny. Well, all I'd be thinking about is, is I got a great story to tell when we get back after I do my job here. But yeah, um, uh, you know, the, and, and when I talk about legendary with you and Kathy is, uh, I mean, your relationship was, was unique. Uh, you were friends. Uh, you were pranksters. Uh, and sometimes you got on each other's nerves. Uh, you know, I had Kathy on this podcast. She told some of the stories of, uh, of the pranks you pulled on each other. Uh, you know, that had to, uh, uh, by osmosis, carry on to the newscast where people enjoyed watching the two of you together. Well, I will say this. It was, it was one of the most fun experiences I've had in my television career. You know, as I got uh, as I got older and started, you know, dealing with a lot of other serious matters and 48 Hours and CBS and all of that, you know, it was not nearly as much fun, and it, it was just a blast. And I saw <laughs> I saw the uh, the uh, podcast you did with Kathy, and I had totally forgotten about that uh, moment she where she walked off the set. Because I, because I, I pissed her off about some, about. She said I was needling her. She was, she was uh, getting going to marry some guy, and I didn't approve. And uh, and so she walked up and said, um, I, the, I, you know, I was so I started thinking, what what were some of the pranks that that I pulled on her? She told the one where they sprayed my office with the with the, the silly putty or whatever it was, silly string. I remember we had the cubicles next to one another. <clears throat> Excuse me, and we had chairs that had a kind of a, a fabric covering. They were like a dark gray fabric covering. And one day before she got in, I got a, I must've been a, a gallon of water and I completely soaked the cushion on her chair. So you couldn't see that it was wet but because I it was, and she came in and she sat down on it right on cue. And she was so, she was so mad. She, and the reason why was because uh, I still remember it was a it was a velvet. The dress was made of velvet. Now I'm yelling. I'll listen. I'll pay for the dry cleaning. She said, "No, you've ruined it. You've ruined it." And as it turns out, I did ruin it. Um, and I think I, I think she made me buy her a, a new dress or pants or whatever they were. But it was they were velvet, and it uh, and didn't it, 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 it couldn't be cleaned. She uh, yeah. We would we would pull those pranks. The other prank that I that I, that came to mind was we were always. 
in a very friendly way, trying to out, outdo each other in terms of, there was a guy who wrote a, 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 like a gossip column in, in the Oregonian. Jonathan, Jonathan Nicholas. Jonathan Nicholas, he was a British guy. Well, and, I'm uh, not sure. There was, was it a, was it a, but I'm not quite sure. Was it one of those fake uh, Alec Baldwin wife accidents? Maybe I'm, I don't know. I'm not saying. He got a little trouble later on for some uh, things that weren't quite uh, up and up. But Jonathan Nicholas. Well, he, well, he, well, he liked us. And he would, he would, and so Kathy and I would try and sort of see who could get into the column, you know, if we could. So I, we, she would call him and say something. And he, he would write about little little things. And um, I, <laughs> and so Kathy got, was getting married, mm -hmm. and she had a big wedding. It was out somewhere. It was an outdoor event, and it was the society event of the year. And what did I, and Jonathan um, was there to cover it. And what did I do? I went out and I bought a, um, I bought a plastic tie that has filled with water and had a goldfish swimming in it. So what did he write? She was expecting him to write, this was the society event of the year. And instead the lead of his story was uh, Bill Lagatuta was seen wearing a tie with a goldfish in it. She was furious because I'd st stolen the thunder from her wedding. So that was another, that was another. And I think that's what led her to write that, the memo down to the people at KNBC that she talked about to Joe Rico, and um, which really infuriated me. Uh, but in the end, it was all, in the end, it was all a wash. And like I say, Carl, these were, th this was just, I, I just, I had, a, overall, I had a blast. I really did. So for people that haven't seen the Kathy Smith podcast, you got a job in LA, you were moving down there, we knew it was happening. She got your stationery, she typed out a real arrogant note, That's and right. signed, signed your name to it and sent it down to a friend, a coworker in, in LA to have it posted. So everybody would hear this new guy coming in and, and basically uh, it, it was quite uh, arrogant, I guess is the best word. <laughs> and yeah, you had, I had no to, idea I and went down there. I had to do damage control. Oh man, I was I was really upset when she did that. I can imagine. I mean, it was it was pretty clever. It was that's, pretty clever. That's, that's even up for a goldfish tie at her wedding. I think so. Yeah, no, I think so. <laughs> um, my my favorite one that Kathy and I talked about is because uh, I've seen this. I saw it live, and I I've seen it on tape. I wish I would have gotten a copy to save it because it is the funniest thing I've ever seen on television. Was when uh, you're covered in video. So they can't see your face. You're still reading. She lights your script on fire because Kathy smoked. She had she smoked on the air or on, in, during commercials. She had a lighter. She lit your script on fire from the top down. So it's burning and you're reading, trying to go fast enough to get to the end of the story before the whole thing. And and you can hear this. The floor director, Susan was her name, was up on the desk just pounding on the thing, trying to put out the flames. Nobody at home knew what was going on, but if you knew the backstory and you heard it, it's, it was the funniest thing. And then she had to come back on camera and read afterwards uh, with a straight face, which she did fairly well. <laughs> yes, I remember that. I remember that, yeah. Oh, yep. That was fun time. We, uh, that, I was on the night shift working sports a lot, so I was there till 11 o'clock with Scott Lynn, and we, we had a lot of good times. I. I remember one thing you told me, Bill, and I wanted to remind you of it because it was good advice. Um, I was the third sports person in that uh, department with Scott Lynn. And over the period of my, my, my first two years, 
they'd hired the weekend sports anchor uh, three times and they passed me over, um, which in hindsight, I was really young. And if, you know, you put me on air, I looked like Doogie Howser. Uh, but, you know, I really, you know, I wanted the job. I wanted to move up and, uh, and I came to you and I was talking about it. And, and you said to me, Bill, I'll never forget it. You said, Carl, anchor positions are never earned. They're awarded. And, and no, no matter how much, no matter how much I, uh, I thought that I deserved that job, uh, you brought me back to this reality that it's TV, it's, it's, um, it's sometimes who you know, not what you know. Uh, and, and I just always remembered, it's always, it always comforted me a little bit uh, that I wasn't, I wasn't passed over because I was doing a bad job. There were other reasons that I didn't know about why I wasn't the weekend sports anchor. You know, I, rem I remember my, my, my impression of you at the time is that you were very serious. You were very serious about your craft. I just remember that. I mean, it's Carl. He's a very serious guy. He's a very serious guy. Uh, but I think, but that's good. That's good advice. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you remember that. I, it's certainly been my experience. I, I can think of a number of jobs that I thought I had certainly earned, but went to. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a funny story. So uh, when I was in LA, I was approached um, by. Uh, and I was, I was working. No, I was in LA, but I was working for CBS Network at the time. And they called me and said, listen, we have a, an idea. We were wondering if you wanted to uh, come to New York and anchor the, uh, and be the, be the main anchor for the uh, local news in New York, WCBS Channel 2. And I, I, I never really wanted to live in New York, but I, I thought mm, this, could be, this could be something interesting because they told me they wanted to do something different. So I fl flew to New York. I was back and forth in New York all the time. And I went up to the, the general manager's office and he sat me down and he said, listen, we want our local anchor person, local anchor person to be a serious person. We, what we don't, we don't want a John Roberts type. And John Roberts was the, was a, 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 a fill in anchor type at CBS, very handsome guy, black hair, uh, young Dan rather type, but not, but with not a great reputation. So we don't want a John Roberts type. I said, he kept telling me the last thing in the world we want is a John Roberts type. Well, yeah, I think you can figure out the end of the story. The end of the story is they hired John Roberts. <laughs> it's absolutely true. But I mean, I remember getting on the plane thinking, well, I, I really nailed this. I think I'm going to get this. And of course I didn't get it. And by the way, in fairness, if, if for some reason he looks in, I will say that John Roberts has become a fine first class correspondent. He works for Fox News. He covers the White House. And in the few times that I've seen him, I've been very impressed. I think he's really grown into the job. But at the time, he, his reputation was not as forceful or as strong as it is now. Well, you know, as, as we look back on those kind of things, and I was really disappointed I didn't get the weekend sports job. Uh, uh, it's probably was a good thing because my career went different ways. And I ended up in, 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 as a news reporter and a news anchor for, you know, and, and was able to... Uh, spend 31 years in Portland where I wanted to work and, and, and have a, a good career. And, you know, a small step left or right uh, that you think at the time is the most important thing, it, it's going to change things for the rest of your life. And so, you know, in hindsight, I'm glad it went the way it went. I'm glad I wasn't awarded that job at that time. Oh, yeah. I, I was thinking of, um, of a couple of things. When I, so when I left, um, uh, I worked at CBS as a correspondent in, uh, based in Los Angeles, started in 1992. 
I did a number of things that I'm very proud of. We, you know, my, when I joined the network, I was a correspondent for the evening news with Dan Rather. And uh, the, my great good fortune, though not good fortune for, for my city, was that that week I joined was the week of the LA riots. So I was, so I was the go-to guy. And that sort of made my, my reputation at the network and my climb up very quick. Um, and in short order, I was doing a lot of things. I covered the presidential campaign in 1992. I remember Dan Rather called me and he said, we'd like you to cover the, be one of the correspondents on the presidential campaign. I said, well, which candidate, Bill Clinton or George Bush Sr.? He said, no, no, Ross Perot. We want you to cover Ross Perot. <laughs> so so that, that was a weird place. <laughs> who came in third place and changed the course of history doing it. So, but it, it was, it was, it was fun too. Then I went on to work on, on 48 hours and I like to tell people that I spent most of my time with the, you know, in the end of the, the end of the day, I'd spend most of my time with cops, lawyers, prosecutors, families of uh, murder victims and serial killers. So I interviewed a lot of sociopaths and, and did a lot and did a lot of that. But when I left, when I left TV news in 2007, um, my contract was not renewed and I'd been planning on leaving. I wanted to stay another year, but it just didn't work out. So I thought I might try some different things in television. I didn't know. So I had two, two strange experiences. Like, you know how when you, sometimes you turn on, you, you watch a TV show or you wa watch a movie and you see the guy playing the newscaster is actually a real newscaster. He's right. He's yeah, all, I, that guy. I know that guy. And I sort of made a career out of that. Ben Shocknick, my good friend, has made a career out of it. And uh, I, I always swore I would never be that guy. But I got a couple of phone calls. And so I went in and played, I played a news anchor in two of the cheesiest movies. They were both disaster movies. One of them was called Megastorm. And it was about this giant storm that came because something aliens had landed or something. It was bizarre. And another one was about this this bomb that went off and, and, and everyone went from the future to the past. It was just really, really dumb. And the reason I'm telling you this story is because, you know, my friend Ken Shocknick, I think makes a pretty good living doing this. I, of course, did not. These movies went nowhere. They played in Europe, I think. And I, uh, I they give you, you get a residual every time it plays. You know, and at first, I, you know, I think, they, I think I originally got like, you know, 500 bucks for doing this. And then the second time, you know, you get $100. I, I, as God is my witness, two weeks ago, Carl, I got a check for 41 cents, yeah. 41 cents from, from Megastorm. And I thought it cost them more to print the check than to, than to pay me the four dollars. And the, and the other thing, the other story I wanted to tell you was that I, I, then I also got a call from my agent who said, listen, I don't, I don't know if you'd be interested in this, but, but there, there's a, they're looking for a game show host. And I said, well, I'm not, I'm not a game show. He said, no, you don't understand. This is going to be on PBS and it's going to be a really serious game show. It's for intelligent viewers. And I said, okay, fine. So I went to, so I went down to this studio and did this audition. And the guy, I don't remember the name of the game, but he started explaining it to me. And I started really realizing this is so complicated. I don't, I don't know, understand how this game is played, but I went and did the, the tape anyway. I didn't get the job, thankfully, because it was a miserable experience. But the guy who got the job was a Hollywood actor you may have heard of. His name's Corbin Burnson. He made yeah. his name on L.A. Law. Mm -hmm. Corbin Burnson got the job. And I thought, well, that's great. A few weeks later, when the show aired, I tuned in and I watched him host this game show. And I realized he got about halfway through and I'm looking at his face and I realized he doesn't know how this game works either. <laughs> and and the, the long story short is the game, the, the show was canceled after two or three weeks. And I thought, OK, great. I'm glad I didn't do that. Yeah. Uh, my, good, 
good friend Nancy Francis, when we were anchoring uh, in the morning, she was uh, uh, cast in Benji the Hunted, and they shot that in Oregon. And and I know Nancy still gets residual checks every time somebody rents that DV, uh, DVD off of a uh, video on demand. Um, so you left KGW, went to LA, worked at NBC, and then you moved to CBS News. And you know, I, I know you just covered uh, so many important stories, which is you know a, a gift to a journalist or you know a great legacy for journalism. Um, and then you did the 48 Hours uh, for a while. I, I'm really intrigued by that show and those stories uh, because you know in our world of reporting, yeah, I'd go in in the morning, I'd get an assignment, I'd go with a photographer, I'd make some phone calls, I'd do some interviews, we'd get some video, we'd come back, we'd put it on the air. Uh, you know, it's the two of us, it's stuff like that. Uh, 48 hour stories, that's so much bigger, there's so much research. Uh, what's the crew like on that? What's the assignment like on that? How long do you work on that story? How many of those stories are you doing at once? Well, I'll tell you, you're doing, you're probably doing three or four at once. Um, so you're doing bits, bits and pieces, you know, and you're working with, with a different producer for each story. And then you would typically have, you know, four or five people on the crew. You'd have two, two you'd shoot it with, uh, with two cameras. And so that's two cameramen, two sound, two sound people. And, um, and then you would, and then, and then maybe an assistant, assistant producer, associate producer. The, the, when I joined 48 Hours, it was back in the day. 48 Hours started out as a as a show that literally was filmed during the course of 48 Hours. I, 48 I remember hours. that. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah, it was 48 Hours at the Firehouse and 48 Hours at the Emergency Room and 48 Hours at the Coast Guard. But this, but after a while, that format became kind of tired. I think people, we got tired doing it. And and I remember the very last, the very last one we did like that was 48 hours at the rodeo and it was just just didn't it was just didn't have that excitement that, that it, <laughs> it was just but but so we so that we, we changed the program to be one hour long in effect murder mysteries and we shot it with two cameras and and um and it was more of a more of a, a big production and I was based in LA and all the other correspondents were based in New York, but it didn't make any difference because I was on a plane every, every few days flying somewhere. And you would typically, you know, spend time with people. If you were if a main character, you might go interview them two or three times over the course of six months. Um, normally a lot of these things would take, I, I've worked on a couple that lasted a year. Yeah. Uh, in but normally, you know, two or three months at a time, and then you go back to New York and they, and they be edited and, um, and and then that's how it would be done so uh that format is uh 48 hours mysteries now uh dateline uh even 2020 is is doing lots of things like that uh forgive me for asking a naive question because i've watched a few you know during this pandemic i've watched a few of those things running on cable just to put me to sleep at night um uh there are so many people that do interviews like prosecutors the defense attorney for the guy um and, and it's not a news program. So are those people being compensated for their time? Or, or are they just really well, energetic? Yeah, yeah. They want to they tell the story. No, they just want to be on TV, I think. They want to tell the story. Uh, no, we, know, we, would never, we could never compensate anybody for anything. And, um, but so you're talking it was, about... It, it was considered a news program where we would not compensate people. Oh, yeah, that. absolutely. Okay, absolutely. Because no. I mean, yeah, no. usually on those stories, you get incredible access to retired detectives, uh, prosecutors, uh, family members. Uh, it's it's amazing to me how well, open they are well, about stories. Well, the key the key to getting those great stories was was not the correspondent. 
it was the it was the producer, and uh, these producers would uh, would work behind the scenes. And I had a great producer based in L.A., and she was she could get anybody to talk about anything. And she spent a lot of time, you know, on the road at people's homes, meeting the family, and you, you sort of and, and convincing people the, the kind of people that might be reluctant, like 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 relatives of victims, people who are not professionals. It was never difficult getting a prosecutor, a lawyer to be on TV. They love being on TV. The cops were okay. But getting access to internal investigations, that was all behind the scenes work. By the time I got involved, uh, it was to start to do the primary interviews. I would, they would, you know, we got this, we got this guy who's going to talk to you about this, this. Then we would work together and, and, and form, form up the interview. I would go out, do the interview, and then we would write the thing together. And um, that's sort of how it worked and does to this day, I think. Yeah. Um, well, congratulations on your, uh, your great uh, journalism career. I think uh, you said, you know, you wanted to repair things after you left Denver. You did a damn good job of that, Bill. Uh, so now, uh, I mean, you are an artist and an olive farmer, man. You have uh, I've really, you, I've really converted. Stood down to the bottom of the bottom of the ladder here. I'm at the lowest rung possible. I'm literally digging in the dirt with my hands. That's, <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your artwork, because that's, I mean, I knew that you were, uh, your doodles and things around the newsroom were pretty infamous, but uh, I mean, you've done some really big work and had some pretty big shows. I did. And uh, when I, after I left uh, CBS, I was, you know, thinking about what I wanted to do. And I always wanted to, uh, to explore, you know, a lot of artistic things that I, that I enjoyed. And so I, I opened a studio in a little part of Los Angeles called Frogtown, which is down by the LA River. And I had a, I had a sort of this cavernous old building and I did a lot of work. I, I did, mostly ended up doing a lot of paintings on metal panels. And I see I've got some metal back there um, that I'm going to work on soon. Uh, and, but I ended up getting some, some nice commissions from architects and, um, and the pieces did well. I had shows and, uh, and um, sold art. And, and, that was, and that was a lot of fun. Um, I, I wanted to, you know, my, my wife's a photographer, has been for a long time. And so, and, I, and we do that as well. And I, I, it's all part of a, um, it's all part of a, an artistic process. So we shoot, uh, we shoot these small documentary films for, for clients. Um, I do, I'm the, I'm the, the director of photography on it. I, we, we shoot a lot of stuff. They're very interesting little films. Our, our website is called Mitzika Films, M-I-Z-Z-I-C-A, mitzikafilms.com. And it has a lot of our a lot of our work on it. So to me, it's all it's all a process. And then buying this property and developing it, and literally building uh, buildings and, and and facilities by hand and creating and designing stuff is what I do uh, now anyway. So it's all part of a it's all part of a process. And um, it's I'm very happy to to do to be able to do this. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. Uh... Uh, those of us in the television business, it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty high pressure. It's pretty uh, uh, aggressive day-to-day -day things you're dealing with. Uh, I, I, it's, it's no more important or less important than other careers, uh, but there's a, uh, all of us that get out of it, uh, hopefully on our own accord, uh, uh, when you find something to replace that, uh, it, to me, it becomes very, uh, there's, there, there's an artistic need I mean, you know, I do a lot of writing and stand-up comedy and things like that, that, you know, artistic expression, uh, but you want to find something that, that is soothing, a place to be that's soothing and a, and a, a vocation or avocation to, to, to kind of relax. 
after the 30 some years <laughs> when we were <laughs> in the mix. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Where, where is Scott Lynn these days, by the way? Scott Lynn's in Tampa. Uh, he and his wife retired there. And because he Scott was the sports director while you were the, uh, the news anchor at, at Channel uh, uh, at Channel 8. Uh, he did many years at KEX Radio after he left television. Uh, retired now. Um, doing some kind of, um, oh, he's written a couple books. You know that, right? No, I didn't. I didn't yeah, he, he wrote uh, and he self-published uh, pretty successful books. Uh, one was about uh, a basketball team in, uh, in Illinois in his home where he went back 30 years later and told all their stories. It was really interesting. And another was about interviews with uh, sports heroes. Uh, and, and I was lucky enough to visit Scott. We were in Florida a couple summers ago and made, we were on the west, uh, east side. We went across to Tampa to visit Scott and, and he's doing really well. Cancer survivor. And uh, uh, so uh, Scott- did he, write, did he write the books under his real name, which is Scott Lynn Beagleberger? Uh, <laughs> Betzelberger. Betzelberger. Oh, I thought I had it. I thought I had it. <laughs> I'm going to tell him you said that. But, uh, I, I anticipate Scott's going to be a guest on my podcast really, really soon. So. Oh, good. I just was, I have one quick story. Again, it's another Kathy Smith story. Scott and I were at a party at, at Kathy's house. She had this big house up in the hill, Portland Hills. And the, we were both sort of wandering around and we wandered into her bathroom and she had this giant claw foot bathtub. And I said, Scott, we've got to take a picture. So we took our shirts off and we got in the bathtubs and we we're just sitting there. So it looked like we were like two guys taking a bath together. And we, I wish I had this picture somewhere. If I, if I had found it, I would have held it up and shown you, but it was a very, and we presented it to her. She was like, two men in a tub. It was very funny. Uh, well, if you find it, you can uh, send it on the email. I will. <laughs> I, I will. You can show it to Scott I and mean, you put him on your podcast. Uh, no, it's Scott. He's a, uh, he's like a bit of a hoarder. He probably has it someplace. <laughs> so Bill, uh, I can't thank you enough. This has been a joy to reconnect after so many years. Uh, your career was uh, fantastic. Uh, the couple years in Portland, I always remember fondly. So thank you so much for joining us on the PDX Media Good Old Days podcast, my friend. Thanks, Carl. Real pleasure.